Hide to cowhide, America's pastime. Behind the back, it gets through Buckner. Here comes Knight, and the Mets win it. Featuring your host, Ricky Litwinkowicz. Walk-off home run by Derek Jeter. He is Mr. November. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Horse Hide to Cowhide, America's Pastime. This is your host, Ricky Lewinkowicz, and this week we have a great, great show planned for you today. The Horse Hide to Cowhide team returns. Mark Braverman, Enzo Pontrelli, and Alex the Bear Man from Texas are all doing commentary on today's show as we cover the week of March 21st to March 26th. Let's not sit around. Let's get that pine tar on the bat and knock some baseballs out of the park. Enjoy this week's show. March 21st, 1908. Detroit outfielder Ty Cobb signs for $4,000 with an $800 bonus if he hits over 300. The 21-year-old Georgia Peach will finish the season with a league-leading 324 batting average for the first-place Tigers. March 21, 1966. In a spring training game in Houston's Astrodome, the Dodgers and Astros become the first major league teams to play on artificial grass. The material, which is now known as AstroTurf, was developed by Monsanto to overcome the team's inability to grow grass indoors. March 21, 1968. The new American League team in Kansas City announces its nickname. The expansion club, which will join the circuit in 1969, will now be known as the Royals, paying tribute to the Negro League Monarchs, a team playing in the City of Fountains from 1920 to 1965. March 21st, 2013. David Wright is named the Mets captain, joining John Franco, Keith Hernandez, and Gary Carter as the fourth player to be honored by the franchise. Like Yankees shortstop Derek Jeter and White Sox first baseman Paul Konerko, the other two current major leaguers to have the title with their club, the 30-year-old third baseman will not wear a C on his uniform. This is Enzo Pontrelli, contributor and historian for Horsehide to Cowhide in America's Pastime. March 21st, 2013, Wright appointed fourth captain in Mets history. Port St. Lucie, Florida. Late one night last May, in a conversation no one particularly wanted to have, 
Mets leaders huddled to decide whether to demote struggling first baseman Ike Davis to the minors. Other than Davis, the only player present was David Wright who felt obligated to support his teammate if the decision went against him. He cares, Davis said. Often superstars probably wouldn't be there. Wright is indeed the superstar who cares. He is Captain America. He is the man Fred Wilpon who won his daughter to marry. He is also now captain of, the, of Wilpon's franchise, the Mets. The organization officially bestowed that honor upon him Thursday afternoon, naming Wright the fourth captain in franchise history and the third active captain in the majors. This is probably one of the proudest days of my career so far, Wright said. I'm honored and very proud to be on that short list of guys that have been considered captain of this franchise. For me, it's a dream come true, to say the least. Wright joins Keith Hernandez, Gary Carter, and John Franco as the only captains in franchise history. And Paul Konerko of the White Sox and Derek Jeter of the Yankees as the only cap active captains. Like Jeter and Konerko, Wright will not wear a C on his uniform, a gesture symbolic in its subtlety. Never a vocal leader, Wright does not plan to become one now. He will not transform into a real rah-rah, yelling, scream type guy. The third baseman instead prefers to conduct his leadership business in private. Be it supporting Davis late one night in May, taking a struggling teammate out to lunch or taking shop with ownership. David is not a guy who wears it on his sleeve, which probably relates to the C on the uniform and the fact that it won't be there. General Manager Sandy Alderson said, I don't think David needs it. I don't think that fits his personality. He's not somebody who's a captain in title alone. It's really about the substance underneath the title. In Alderson's estimation, captainship requires two characteristics. Professional expertise and personal character. Without the former Alderson said a captain has no credibility. Without the latter, he has no respect. Wright embodies both. He has asserted his professional expertise with six all-star selections, two gold gloves, and two silver sluggers, establishing himself years ago as one of the best third basemen in, in the National League. He has also gained recognition as a leader, most notably earning his Captain America Monkeer during this month's World Baseball Classic. Earning captainship in a more formal sense, Franco said, is a sign of respect and a sign that the players on his team hold you in high esteem. I have been around David long enough to know that he is the perfect guy to be the captain of the Mets, Hernandez added. In his new role, Wright will assume a measure of responsibility for manager Terry Collins, who required Wright to clear his new title with his peers. Wright did, going around the clubhouse and asking his teammates, many of them friends, some professional acquaintances, if they would accept him as captain. The result became public at a news conference Thursday, when the Mets named Wright their first captain since Franco left the team in 2004. 
There's nobody better to choose as a captain, David says. He was a professional on and off the field. As soon as Wright signed an eight-year, $138 million contract to remain in Flushing through 2020, the, the Mets prepared to offer him an increased leadership role. A supplemental round draft pick in 2001, Wright grew up as a Mets fan, as a Mets fan in coastal Virginia. Rooting for the AAA Norfolk Tides, then a New York affiliate. Alongside shortstop Jose Reyes, Wright soared through the minors, translating his 2006 playoff run and his 30-30 season in 2007 into star, superstardom. When Reyes left the team via free agency two off-seasons ago, it became even clearer that this was the third baseman's team. Any remaining doubt disappeared with the Mets' long-term offer to write this winter. When you commit that kind of money and resources that we have to a guy like this, we want to make sure he's the leader, Chief Operating Officer Jeff Wilpon said, and he's proven to be that. Wright's next challenge is a familiar one, helping mold the Mets into a consistent winner. Had he not believed that was possible, Wright never would have signed on for eight more years and a promise of captainship that became bundled with them. This is where I wanted to start my career and finish my career, Wright said. I feel very comfortable and very confident in this role. I'm on Pontrelli, contributor and historian for Horsehide to Cowhide, America's Pastime. On March 21st, 2013, the Mets would have a press conference and I want to announce that number five third baseman Dave Murray would become their captain. He would become the fourth captain of team history. The other, the other three captains were Keith Hernandez, Gary Carter, and Sean Franco. But despite the fact that he was named captain of the team, he would not wear the C on his jersey, either in, either in practice, spring training, or in a regular season game. Sadly enough, though, despite the fact that he was, that was named captain, had a wonderful career, in 2015 he would be diagnosed with spinal stenosis, ending what was a wonderful career. His nickname was Captain American because of his love of the comic book character and because of his performance on and off the field. My brother Jeffrey was a huge Mets fan and loved, and loved David Wright. He got his autograph and as a matter of fact had a poster of him on his wall in his apartment. We hear from Horsehide to Cowhide Miss Jeffrey Robin very much and the world's never been the same since my little brother passed away on March 21st, 2011. Jeffrey, we miss you, we love you and the world has never been the same. I am Mark Brown from Horsehide to Cowhide. We thank you so much. And as always, we will see you very soon. March 22nd, 1962. In the first meeting between the two New York clubs, the Mets defeated the world champion Yankees in a spring training game with a dramatic walk-off 4-3 victory at Al Lang Field. Casey Stengel, the former skipper of the Bronx Bombers, now the expansion team's manager, clearly wanting to beat his old club, calls upon veteran Richie Ashburn, who delivers a ninth-inning pinch-hit single for the Amazons. March 22, 2002. After a miserable spring training trying to make the Dodgers as a bench player, 38-year-old Dante Pichette, 299 batting average, 274 home runs, 1,141 RBIs announces his retirement. 
The four-time affable All-Star who played with the Angels, Brewers, Rockies, Reds, and Red Sox during his 14-year Major League career will have a brief stint as the Rockies' batting coach in 2009. 351 in his career with the bases loaded. Last two years, an interleague play against the Rangers, 10 for 24 against Texas, and he sends this one into left center field. It is well back there, and it's one hop against the fence. Jones scores, Perez scores, here comes Lansing to the plate, he scores as well. It's a three-run double, and just like that, the Rockies have the lead. Dante Bichette, RBIs 49, 50, and 51, a double that clears the bases. The manager, when you've got a fast runner leading off on base. Dante Bichette hits this one deep to center field, and there was never a doubt about it. Dante has four RBIs, and the Rockies have the lead. It's Bichette's eighth home run of the season. And he now has 52 RBIs. To a tie for first in saves in the American League. And Bichette sends this one deep to right field. It is way back and it is off the wall. Bouncing away from Gonzalez. Bichette headed to third. Here's the throw to third. Bichette is in. Bichette needs a single to hit for the cycle in this game. He has a double, a homer, and a triple. And he sends this one to center field. Good one. Looking up. That's Greer looking up. It's over his head, and the Rockies win it. Dante Bichette hits for the cycle, and the Rockies win this game. First pitch he sees from Danny Patterson. It's a 9-8 Colorado win over Texas. Dante Bichette, a three-run double, a solo homer, a triple, and scored the tying run. And then the game-winning RBI single. It's the first cycle in Colorado Rocky history. Dante Bichette, and he did it in his last four at-bats of this game. March 22, 2005. Giant slugger Barry Bonds, 11 home runs shy of passing Babe Ruth on the all-time list indicates he may not play this season. The 40-year-old National League MVP, who has had two knee operations that implicated the sports steroid scandal, cites being physically and mentally done, and blames the media for much of his unhappiness. March 22, 2016. In a game attended by Barack Obama, the first sitting U.S. president on Cuban soil since 1928, the Rays beat the Cuban national team 4-1, marking the first time in 17 years a major league team has visited the island nation. In 1999, at Havana's Estadio, the Orioles edged the home team 3-2, thanks to Harold Baines' eventual game-winning hit in the 11th inning. something really positive but it's been so much more than that and I want to really be grateful to President Obama for making this possible. I mean if he, opened, if he doesn't 
create the opening for us to come over here. This doesn't happen. There's such a passionate group here. I think the two countries, the one thing they agree on for sure is how much they love the game. March 23rd, 1951. Brooklyn signs a 21-year lease with the city of Vero Beach to use an abandoned naval base as their spring training facility, which will become known as Dodgertown. The site will be the team's Grapefruit League home through the 2008 season with exhibition games played at the 6,000-seat Hallman Stadium. March 23rd, 1963. On the day he's fitted for his big league Orioles uniform, 23-year-old Steve Dalkowski, pitching in an exhibition game against the Yankees, feels something pop in his left elbow, losing feeling in his hand while facing Bobby Richardson. The fireball from New Britain, Connecticut, who once struck out 24 batters in a minor league game, will never appear in the major leagues again. The original wild thing, they called him. Steve Dalkowski, probably the hardest thrower ever. He pitched a no-hitter and lost. And that's how wild he was. Steve was like a jet. And you'd hear it after it went by you. Just before it hit the middle, it just sort of goes Steve Dalkowski, sometimes called the fastest pitcher in history, believed to have a fastball that exceeded 100 miles per hour. Others believe his fastball went as fast as 110 miles per hour. Because there were no radar guns during that time, his top speed will forever be a mystery. Umpire Doug Harvey once claimed that Dalkasti was indeed the fastest pitcher he had ever seen. Even Ted Willems says Dalkowski was the fastest pitcher, even at one point saying, and I quote, I never want to face him again. In high school one time, struck out 24 batters in a nine inning game. Once threw 283 pitches in a game, 27 strikeouts during his time in the minor league baseball. March 23, 1963, after his pitching in the minor league for six years, Dalkowski receives an invitation to spring training. He is expected to make the opening day roster for the Baltimore Orioles. His career with the Orioles in the majors is expected to begin. The man had true potential. The man had an arm that had never been seen before. This man could have been regarded as one of the future of Major League Baseball. March 23rd, in a game, exhibition game, against the New York Yankees, Dalkowski comes in as a relief pitcher. And according to many, while throwing a slider, something popped in his left elbow turned out to be a severe muscle injury. It's quite uncertain what exactly their injury was, but what we know for sure is that his elbow was damaged and his arm never recovered. He did return a year later in 1964. Unfortunately, his fastball had dropped to a reported 90 miles per hour and midway through the season, the Baltimore Orioles released him. He would go on to play two more seasons with the Pittsburgh Pirates and Los Angeles Angels organization. He did have a brief return to the Orioles minor league system, but he could not regain his form and he officially retired from baseball in 1966. 
A lifetime record of 46 and 80 with an ERA close to 6.00. Nine, nine minor league seasons. Nearly 1,400 strikeouts and 995 innings of play. The downfall did not end there. After retiring from baseball, he had trouble finding gainful employment, eventually having to settle for labor work. Now that was not bad enough. His experience with alcohol abuse was really beginning to take its toll. He was known for being a heavy drinker during his playing days. And as the end of his career ended, unsurprisingly, the addiction escalated big time. Cost him a marriage, and eventually cost him his home as he one time ended up homeless. But the toughest part was eventually it got him to suffer alcohol-induced dementia. It's unfortunate what had happened to Steve Dalkowski because on his story knowing, we, ask, we see this as one of the biggest what-ifs not only in baseball, but in sports overall. What if Steve Dalkowski had not injured his elbow? What if he had indeed made the Orioles starting roster that season? What if he went on to become one of the best pitchers in baseball? Well, the story today would certainly be different, but we will never know. It's not only the mystery of how fast was his fastball indeed, but the greatest mystery over everything else is what if he had stayed healthy? What if he had earned his major league spot? What if he had found success? What if his life did not go into a downward spiral? March 23rd, 2009. Thanks to Mariners, Ichiro Suzuki's two-out, two-run single in the top of the 10th inning, Japan defeats South Korea 5-3 to win its second consecutive World Baseball title. South Korea, the reigning Olympic champion, had tied the game 3-3 in the bottom of the ninth on Lee Bum-Ho's two-out RBI single off a Japanese closer, Yu Darvish, in front of an enthusiastic crowd of 54,846 at Dodger Stadium. It's just what he does. He's just one of those guys that helps you win ballgames. Two ball, two strike count on Ichiro. Lim with a long set. One will score. Here's the throw coming by Lee to the plate. Not in time. Ichiro. A two-RBI base hit. 5-3 Japan. March 24, 1933. Babe Ruth, who made $75,000 last season, takes a $23,000 pay cut, a decrease which is indicative of the Depression era. The 38-year-old Yankee slugger remains productive, batting 301, hitting 34 home runs, and driving in 103 runs for the second-place club that finishes seven games behind the Senators. March 24, 1947. During a four-hour hearing with Commissioner Chandler at the Sarasota Terrace Hotel, Dodger manager Leo DeRocha admits to playing occasional card games for money with Kirby Higby. Before opening day, Chandler will suspend the Brooklyn skipper for the entire 1947 season for association with known gamblers. March 24, 2001. During an exhibition game against the Giants, Diamondback hurler Randy Johnson's fastball 
hits and instantly kills a dove flying in front of home plate. The bird appears to explode as the National League Cy Young winner's pitch sends it over catcher Rob Rahas' head. March 24th, 2001. The Arizona Diamondbacks and the San Francisco Giants met for an unremarkable spring training game in Arizona. D-backs ace Randy Johnson was on the mound. Johnson was one of the most devastating pitchers ever and a baseball legend. The 6'10 lefty threw a pitch that likely reached 100 miles per hour, only it never made it to home plate. It literally just turned into a cloud of feathers, D-backs manager Bob Brenly said. The bird died on impact and was called a no pitch. You can even hear gasps from the crowd. The one in a million play wasn't covered in baseball's official rules, so the umpires used common sense to make the call. More than 15 years later, it remains one of the wackiest things to ever happen in a baseball game. March 25th, 1914. Babe Ruth makes his first start of his professional career when he defeats the world champion Philadelphia Athletics 6-2 in an ex exhibition game played in Wilmington, North Carolina. The 19-year-old Red Sox rookie left-hander had faced 29 batters in relief, allowing just six hits to earn a spot in manager Jack Dunn's rotation. March 25, 1962. The Cubs, who haven't had a manager since 1960, taps Elvin Tapp to be the team's first head coach of the campaign after he posted a 42-54 and record last year. The best by far of the four who led the club as managers of the Chicago's College of Coaches. After getting off to a 4-16 start as the skipper, the 35-year-old veteran returns to the bench, playing 26 games as a backup catcher for the ninth place team. March 25, 1985. The news is terrible for the Cubs when circuit court judge Richard L. Curry rules that the existing laws banning night games are constitutional. The Chicago's West Side Club brought suit after having to give up a home playoff game last season due to the lack of lighting at Wrigley Field. March 26, 1951. During a spring exhibition game against the University of South California at Bolvert Field, Mickey Mantle batting left-handed hits a home run off Tom Loverich, which is estimated to travel 650 feet. The 19-year-old rookie's performance, which includes a single, triple, and another home run, is one of the highlights of the Yankees' first ever West Coast trip. March 26, 1967. The American League votes to expand to Toronto, awarding a franchise to a group consisting of Labatt's Breweries, 45%, the Imperial Trust Limited, 45%, and CIBC, 10%, who will eventually purchase the rights for the team for $7 million. At first, the decision will appear in peril when President Gerald Ford attempts to put pressure on the MLB to give the expansion franchise to Washington, D.C., which has been without a major league team since the Senators moved to Arlington, Texas to become the Texas Rangers following the 1972 season. March 26, 1984. 
Jackie Robinson, who broke baseball's color line, playing for the Dodgers in 1947, is awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President Reagan. Rachel Robinson, on behalf of her late husband, accepts the award, the highest civilian honor given in the United States. Mrs. Jackie Robinson will accept for her late husband, Mr. Jackie. As an individual of courage and conviction, and as a skilled and dedicated athlete, Jackie Robinson stood tall among his peers. His courage opened the door of professional sports to all Americans when in 1947, he became the first black baseball player in the major leagues. He bravely demonstrated to all that skill and sportsmanship, not race or ethnic background, are the qualities by which athletes should be judged. In doing so, he struck a mighty blow for equality, freedom, and the American way of life. Jackie Robinson was a good citizen, a great man, and a true American champion. And that's it for this week's episode of Horse Hide to Cowhide. We thank Alex, Mark, and Enzo for their return to the show this week. We congratulate them on their great commentary for the show, as well as we like to throw out some music credit to Juan Sanchez with Blue Nights, White Sand and Shadows, Zach Henze with The Way, also crediting for the Fair Usage Act, now this from YouTube, MLB, WPIX, SNY, and other outlets that were not mentioned in this outro. Tune in again next week for another edition of Horse Hide to Cowhide, America's Pastime. Looking for his first hit of the year. Oh. He drives one deep left field. Back goes Upton. Back near the wall. It's out of here.